The thrill of hope. That's a phrase from the Christmas Carol, O Holy Night. The thrill of hope. I don't know about you, but hope often makes me feel angsty more than thrilled. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. What is the thrill of hope? You're hoping for something that, oh man, maybe this will happen. I hope the Vikings win. I hope the Vikings don't blow the lead that they've actually had right now. Oh, I'm, you might be talking to a child and they might be saying, oh, I'm hoping I get this for Christmas. And you might be talking to an adult and they might be saying, oh, I hope everyone can make it for Christmas, that everybody's healthy. We might hope for a snowstorm. We might hope that there isn't a snowstorm. Where I'm recording this right now and it's just lightly starting to snow. We have promise of a snowstorm and I'm hoping that it really happens because I love snow. But what is this hope that we talk about at Christmas? What is this hope referenced on Christmas cards and on Christmas ornaments and everywhere you turn around? They talk about the hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas is the messianic hope. There was somebody who was promised to come. Someone was going to come and save. Someone was going to come and set the people free. This person was a Messiah. The song, O Holy Night, I referenced earlier, says, says it like this. It says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. That night was the night the messianic hope was realized when God took on flesh. He became a babe in the manger and Christ was born. But that was a story long in the making. That wasn't just, boy, I hope this happens next week. And I'd love for us for just a moment to think about the fact that God is writing a long story. He's writing a long story throughout the course of history. And in your life, he's writing a story as well. In fact, I want us to back up to the book of Joshua. Before we get to that passage, I want to do a quick scene setting for you because this is probably not the passage you thought of first off when we're going to be talking about Christmas today. But let me just set the scene. Moses is dead. Moses was the leader who led the people out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. And they became this wandering people as they followed Moses, who's following God. But Moses now is dead, and now Joshua is the one in charge. Joshua is getting ready to lead the people across the Jordan River, which is the lesser known of the Old Testament miraculous water crossings. We don't have songs about it and such. 
And now this wandering people who had been an enslaved people, right? Enslaved. Moses leads them out. They're now wandering people. Now Joshua is going to lead this wandering people into an established people, into a land that God had promised to give them. Hence the promised land. Joshua told everybody to consecrate themselves and get their provisions ready because in a few days they were going to cross the Jordan River and enter the land the Lord had promised to them. It was this great beginning. So while the people were busy getting ready to cross the Jordan River, I want us to pick up the story at Joshua chapter 2. It says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, now if you're just listening to me reading this, you're like, whoa, what does it mean, son of Nun? Did he have no parents? No, son of Nun. Nun is the guy's name, N-U-N. Hi, what's your name? Nun. All right, so Joshua is son of Nun. He secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, the promised land on the other side of the Jordan. He said, especially Jericho. Who? Who are those spies? It doesn't say. It doesn't matter. That's not our focus. So we're going to go on and continue to read this story. So they went out. Who's they? The spies. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Rahab was a woman who had a hotel that, yes, was used for harlotry, also was used for housing guests that would come into the city. Her house was built into the wall of the city, as many of the houses were in that day. The walls were real thick, and people would build houses and live there. And when the spies came to Jericho, this is where they went. They probably were thinking, oh, they'd be unlikely to attract attention if they went and stayed somewhere where people would go and stay. Verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So we don't know who the spies were, but we know they weren't terribly tricky. They're there walking around and somebody already tells the king, um, okay, there's some Israelites here. They're spying out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. He said this, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. How does this woman respond? The king sent messengers to Rahab. The woman, picking up in verse 4, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. She had flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. What did she do? What did Rahab do? She deceived the spies and sent them off in the wrong direction. Why? Because while the king of Jericho demanded an answer, Rahab already had decided she was going to answer to another king, the king of kings. It was almost like she had already heard Joshua twenty four fifteen, where it says, choose yourselves whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The king of Jericho demanded an answer. But again, she's answering now to a different king. Jericho as a whole is terrified, but Rahab herself, she testified. What did she say? Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. What does Rahab say? She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. We've heard that you've crossed water. We see the Jordan River between us. The Jordan River right now is at flood stage between us and between you. But guess what? That doesn't make us feel any better because we have heard of the Lord. I have heard of the Lord and what he has done. And all of the people in this city are terrified. I myself, Rahab says, I am testifying that I know the Lord has given you this land. The Lord will do as he promised. He's able, she says. I saw what he's done already. I have come to this conclusion that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below, and I will trust him. That's Rahab's testimony. And she follows up that testimony with a bold ask. Now then, Rahab says, verse 12, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. She said, you can see that I am on your side. I am fighting with you, not against you. I have become part of your plan. I am not trying to thwart it. The spies heard her testimony. They saw her trust in the Lord. And then they did make a plan. All right, verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, what does he, they mean when they say, if you don't tell what we are doing? She's going to have to tell someone, right? She's going to have to tell her father, mother, brothers and sisters and all of their families. But he's saying, don't tell what? The king of Jericho, the one who is asking for this information. So what happens next? She let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers won't find you. Hide yourselves in the hills three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and brothers and sisters and all of your family into your house. So they have the scarlet cord. It's probably something she had there. But he's like, he hands it to her. Okay, this, this scarlet cord, tie it out your window. Otherwise, we will not be responsible. And then he says, if any of them, any of your family members, go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own hands. We're not going to be responsible. But as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head. If a hand is laid on them. But again, if you tell what we're doing, we're going to be released from this oath you made us swear. Do you hear that phrase? As for those of you who are in this house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does Rahab say? Agreed. She replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window, which I appreciate her doing right away. 
Because don't you think that that's one of those things? Okay, and then I, hold on, I gotta remember, I gotta tie that scarlet cord. Oh, wait, but look it over here. I should probably pick up this food. Oh, the flax is all messed up from when they were hiding. Let me stack that up. And as soon as I'm done, I'll tie the scarlet cord. Oh, okay, those are in bundles. Oh, you know what? I was gonna make some bread. I wonder if that's rising. Let me go check on that. Ooh, but I gotta remember. Ooh, the scarlet cord and continues on. My guess is she tied that on there right away. Now picture Rahab. She's got things to do. She has people to contact, right? She has conversations she has to have. She had to testify over and over and over again to her father and mother and brothers and sisters and all their family members. She had to trust that what these spies said were true. And then she had to gather everybody in and have them believe in it as well. And then what did she do after she had to run around and testify and testify and testify and have all her family members come in and organize them all here? And now there's a whole bunch of people who need to eat and they need to sleep. They need to. It's just the practicality of it all. A whole bunch of people in this home. What did they have to do now? They had to wait. She had to wait on the Lord of whom she testified. Because in the meantime, the spies left. Verse 22, they went into the hills. They stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and they returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills. They forded the river. We don't know how long that took, but probably some time. And they came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. What was happening in Jericho? The people were terrified. They were all hunkered down. How did they know that the Lord had given the whole land into their hands? Rahab told them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. They are concurring with what Rahab had said. The gates of Jericho, it says in Joshua 6.1, were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and, and no one came in. And among the Israelites, what was happening? The Israelites had to gather. They crossed the Jordan River. That's a super cool story because they crossed it at flood stage where it was the most flooded, but we won't go into that right now. But they were going to do that. And the Lord had also told Joshua he was going to deliver the city into the, their hands and he gave them their marching orders. The Lord gave all the instructions in super great detail. And then he gives a shout out to Rahab. While he's still talking to Joshua, God says, yes, this is what you're going to do. And then Joshua 6, 17 says, only Rahab, the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Remember, though, why does God sparing her? Because she testified of his goodness. She placed her faith and trust in him. It wasn't because she was so good at hide and seek. It wasn't because she was so tricky. No, her faith in the Lord, her belief that he was the one true God in heaven above and on earth below, it was put into action. She had sided with the king of kings instead of the king of Jericho. Her faith spoke in the life that she lived. We have to think about Rahab for a minute, too. A number of days have passed since the spies left. They had to hide there three days. They had to journey home. The Lord talked to Joshua. Joshua talked to the spies. Joshua talked to the people. And Rahab is just waiting. She's there. Father, mother, sisters, brothers. We don't know how many. We don't know how many were added on to their household. But they're all in this home having conversations more crowded than they probably would have liked. And she's just waiting. And then one day in the distance, she sees a little dust up. What do you think she thought? I'm guessing she's going to first check and make sure the scarlet cord is still there, but maybe not. That's extraneous, extraneous thought right there. 
but she sees this marching in the distance, and I'm guessing she's going to assume today is the day. It was about a one and a half mile likely march. And then with all the art carrying and the trumpet blowing and all that, it would probably take this pile of people that was coming about an hour or so to finish. What did she see? The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward. We're in Joshua chapter six, blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them, right? Seven priests carrying seven trumpets. They went forward. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Notice he says until the day I tell you to shout, not until the time. This is something that's going to happen for days. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. It was over. (laughs) Rahab's looking out the window and there was no rescue. She saw the dust up and she had this hope. This is it. She saw the march around and around and complete their circle and then march back slowly in the distance where she can't see him anymore. And they settled. And so this continued. The next day, the priests, the trumpets, the armed guard, the rear guard, they marched toward her. They march around the city and they march away. Day two. Day three. They come. They approach. They march around and around and they retreat. Day four. They approach. They march around and around and around. Day five. All right, I'm going to pause. Day five. Picture what you were doing five days ago, right? Day five, they're marching. It's not like she knows, oh, well, guys, it's just a couple more. And day seven is the big one. Rahab does not know God's plan. She still goes back, comes back away from the window and still has her sisters and brothers and father and mother. And you know somebody in there is saying something like, are you sure you heard it right? Is this the real Scarlet Cord? Okay, what's happening? Why are they just marching slow? What's going to happen next? Rab, Rab. She's like, I don't know. Here's what I do know. She trusts in the Lord. She trusts in the Lord. Day five, same thing. Day six, same thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine waiting for God to work? I'm sure some of you can. Can you imagine knowing a promise of God was given, but you haven't seen its fulfillment yet? Can you imagine? I'm sure you can. And I want to encourage you, as I have before, while you are waiting, God is working. He has a plan. Finally, the seventh day, the perfect day, the day of completion arrived. The people marched, they marched, they marched. They blew their trumpets, they shouted, and the walls fell. And we read in Joshua 6, 24, then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasure of the Lord's house. 
But Joshua spared Rahab with her family and all belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. What an ending. How exciting. Archaeologists dig up what they believe to be the walls around Jericho. And they say, oh, there's this little part that's a little bit higher than the rest. This is a crazy account. This is exciting and It's like if this was a movie, the movie here would maybe fade. And then you wait because you want to read the updates. You want to see what's happening next. I don't know if you watch documentaries. Kenny and I just got way into documentaries, way too much. And so we always say now we know very little about so many topics. But I love the ones at the end. They kind of give you an update. Oh, and now here's what this person's doing. Now here's what's happening in this organization. And it's like, what happens next to Rahab? It said she lives among the Israelites to this day, but what happens next? I wish we knew, and guess what? We do know. We know what happened to her right after. We know what happened to her a year later, 10 years later, generations later. We know. We know that Rahab married a man named Salmon. So, <laughs> bummer. <laughs> but, I mean, that's probably, it's probably a very fine name. I don't know. Do any of you have relatives named Salmon? Well, maybe you will name somebody Salmon now. Rahab marries a man named Salmon, and they have a son. And their son is named Boaz. We know that Boaz was a selfless, God-fearing, amazing man of God. We read about him in the book of Ruth. In fact, speaking of Ruth, another woman who came from another country and was assimilated in to the Israelites, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was also a God-fearing, amazing woman of God. And together, Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. We also know that generations, generations later, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in claws, and she placed him in a manger. The promised one, the long-awaited Savior of the world, the person of the Messianic hope, the one, capital O, the one who can fulfill all the hopes of those who trust in him had been born, and we know his name. His name is Jesus. Rahab's faith was paired with actions. Her actions spoke what her heart believed. The Lord will do as he promised. He's able. I've seen what he's done already. I have concluded that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below, and I will trust in him. Rahab testified, and I want to encourage us to do the same. I want us to encourage, I want to encourage us to testify with our words and our actions that we place our hope in the one who was born, that our hope is a thrill for our weary soul. The hope in Jesus that we have can cause our weary soul to rejoice. That even though long lay the world in sin and air pining, he appeared <laughs> and our soul, 
the souls of those around us can feel their worth. Lord, would you please cause, cause us to fall on our knees knowing that Christ is the Lord. Mm -hmm.